0: Welcome to The Immeasurable Podcast at the Krishnamurti Center in Ojai, California. This series reflects upon Krishnamurti's work and how it directly impacts the listener. The invitation is to inquire together into the fundamental nature of our existence. You're listening to The Immeasurable Podcast. I'm Leia Long, and this episode is a 1980s interview with Laura Huxley. Laura was a musician, author, psychotherapist, and lecturer who met Krishnamurti at the home of yoga instructor Vandas Scaravelli. She was married to author and philosopher Aldous Huxley, who was a close friend of Krishnamurti. Laura Huxley is known for a discussion she had with Kay in which she said, people who try to help others are a curse. She talks about that exchange in this interview. And I think you'll find what Krishnamurti has to say about it to be both surprising and interesting. Huxley is interviewed by Michael Mendiza. I've re-narrated his questions for better audio quality. I hope you enjoy it. Can you tell us about your experience with Krishnamurti? Clear, this is what I feel so strong, okay. that, uh, that he was a loving man because I don't know if people see him as a loving man because it was very severe sometimes. I understand that in private meeting, well, he was like a tiger with me, you know? <laughs> so that, uh, and I think that uh, this uh, tiger thing was because of love. The episode was that um, we had lunch together with Mrs. Uh, Scaravelli and Oldus uh, Kishanj and myself, and I was at the time writing uh, a book on recipes for living and loving, psychological, psycho-emotional techniques. And I spoke about it uh, without uh, quite freely. And then after lunch, uh, we were left alone, uh, which was a very thoughtful thing uh, from the hostess to do. And Krishnaji, I felt some kind of tremendous intensity come towards me and he was looking at me holding my uh, gaze just like that and then he said you know those people who go around helping other people I think they are a curse and I just was uh, you know taken aback and realized that he was speaking about me and for a moment I didn't know what to say and then I said but what do you think you're doing you're doing the same thing you are helping people and he said but i don't do it on purpose which was sort of a, such an extraordinary thing and an explanation also of his um, of his way of being uh, his way of uh, teaching without teaching and then i said mm, th- then he said i'm only a religious man so i said what is a religious man and he said, first of all, he's a man that is alone, completely alone, and he likes it. Secondly, he's a man that has both feminine and masculine understanding, and he made it clear, not sexually, but it's sort of a worldview of both sides. And then he said, and then is a man that, destroys everything, destroy everything, Ideas, thoughts, past, everything, so that uh, you are alone, and uh, he didn't say alone and naked, but that is what he meant. And then he said, then it's, everything is still, infinitely still, I remember he said that. And we were sitting in front of this wonderful Swiss Alps, and there was a tremendous stillness, there was a silence there. It was a, uh, that that meeting, of course, remained in my mind because it was uh, such a statement. And it was really an, an unexpected gift. I didn't realize that that was going to happen at all. What kinds of questions did you ask Krishnamurti? When uh, I was in India in Madras visiting him, I asked him uh, if he could teach the people in the street where there is great poverty and, and this kind of feeling of people being destituted. And I asked him a question, and he said, no, they are too primitive. And I think he meant, I think, he meant that uh, you cannot teach people when they are hungry. The interesting thing is that I read a star bulletin of 1928 the same question was asked to him then and he didn't answer that way he said uh, first uh, you have uh, to teach the important things uh, consciousness and um, so that people uh, correct themselves from basic mistakes which makes the situation the human situation as it is in other words uh, if we all would have a higher consciousness uh, we there would be no hunger in the world. But it's interesting that uh, in 1961, he answered that a little bit different, saying you cannot do it. How do Krishnamurti's teachings differ from other teachers or organizations? Well, uh, the, the teaching of Krishna Ji do appear complicated and confusing because he seems to ask the impossible. Give up your body, give up your feeling, give up your sen- sensation, and of course your memory and all your past. And um, it's not easy to do that unless you are in a state of grace, where that comes as a nat- natural thing. You have a gratuitous grace, and all that happens, and you don't do anything. Uh, otherwise, many people, some people do uh, do achieve those those uh, those. Um, states, but they have to have a long discipline for that. It it does not happen very easily and it seems to be almost uh, something of a higher evolution. He asks us to be, it seems to me, of a higher uh, evolution that we are at present. Well, it seems to me that uh, to apply Krishnaji's uh, points of view, teaching, one, one needs almost a quantum step in evolution. Like uh, we were going on all four, then we are on two, and then maybe next time, next step, we will understand. It. We find it very logical and easy to understand that one can live and be present without a body and without all the other gadget that we have. Maybe that's what it is. And uh, you see, uh, the, I find myself a little bit. Uh, Embarrassed because he asked again and again in all the uh, speeches and the tapes not to have an opinion, and here we are making opinion, and it seems very presumptuous. Also, but that's what it is. <laughs> well, to to try or to understand Krishnamurti intellectually only would be a very limiting way because he. Intellect is only a very small part of uh, our being, and certainly, it seems to me, of what he felt uh, we we are. It is a, a total understanding, it's an immediate understanding that he, that he wants. Uh, it's a kind of um, gratuitous grace that comes sometimes to some people, and sometimes it comes with a long preparation, sometimes it comes not asked, uh, not deserved, so... Like a, like a sudden miracle. But uh, of course, there are many ways to have a gratuitous grace. Uh, Buddha sat for 40 years under a tree and did not eat and did uh, not speak. And I, other people can take a chemical and other people can, there is many, many ways to to achieve that. And I think that the psychedelic revolution has um, made Krishna ji more understandable. Why did the psychedelic revolution make Krishnamurti's teachings more accessible? Yeah, the, the psychedelic revolution, I think, has made Krishna ji more understandable because he speaks about such extraordinary states of mind which are not. Uh, Usual, they are not common. And in the psychedelic uh, experience, one does uh, know about those states of mind. One does know that there is a beauty and a tremendous life and uh, intensity just in everything that surrounds us. And without uh, that knowledge that now has become quite pervasive in the young people, it would be more difficult to understand Krishna ji unless one has really uh, achieved somehow the mystical state of mind. And that is, again, the mystical state of mind is the gratuitous grace. And some people achieve it after long, long years of training. But uh, the way that we are going now, there are not so many long years of training in our culture. We do things quicker, it seems. <laughs> After Uldus had this first uh, psychedelic experience, he went right away to see Krishnaji. And the reason was that um, he had uh, studied uh, the mystical literature before. Then he had this experience, and he knew that, of course, uh, Krishnaji had uh, uh, mystical experiences, because otherwise it wouldn't be what he was. And he wanted to compare and see if the two experiences were similar. And he found, so he said that uh, when um, he was speaking to Krishnaji, Krishnaji would say, yes, yes, that's it. That's, that's what we are talking about. Uh, he knew what he was talking about. And then uh, after that, Aldous wrote The dose of Perceptions, in which he describes, and in a very wide way, naturally from the artistic point of view, musically, humanistically... um, pictorically how one can arrive to these experiences in different ways and how many many artists are there all the time and many other people are there all the time and probably they keep it very quiet because because it might be dangerous to 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 let people know how much do you see and how much do you do you hear in fact when he first gave uh uh, lectures on this. I remember very well that uh, after the lecture, several people would go and say, you know, I had this when I was a child, but I never spoke about it. Well, he was very moved about that. I had this feeling and so and so happened to me. I was just making breakfast, you know, in in circumstances very common, nothing extraordinary, no preparation, no no chemical. I just was making breakfast and all of a sudden this thing happened. Everything was full of light. Everything was uh, uh, shivering with light from inside. Every flower, every object, in other words, what um, what Blake said and all this Watt in the beginning of the book uh, Doors of Perception, Blake said, if the doors of perception were cleansed, man would see everything as it is, infinite. And that is the experience that many people have and probably they don't speak about it (laughs) for for very good reason. What kinds of topics would Krishnamurti often speak about? I think that... uh, and Krishnaji was speaking very often about this wonderful state of uh intense passion and yet detachment i mean it's quite possibly possible to to have a great deal of passion but uh, to have it coupled with detachment that, that i believe is one of the ideals of uh, what uh, Krishnaji was was teaching and uh, That is, in fact, uh, what we are trying to understand from him, because he was a very intense and passionate person. And in the same time, he was saying, Give away your passion, give away your, and uh, let go of your passion, let go of your feeling, let go of your thoughts. So that it it forms a paradox, which is, of course, what he is and what uh, for us the mystical state is, because how can one understand the mystical state unless one is in it? Because it's made of the opposite, which then have to be uh, unified. It was a representation of that within himself, it seems to me, he had achieved this unification of all the opposition, of the opposite, although sometimes in this talk one could not realize that because uh, there was a certain kind of uh, feeling of frustration of. Knowing that he was not going to be under that he was not being understood, and probably knowing that we would be making films about him <laughs> and giving opinions and things of that kind, you said he's a paradox. Why is Krishnamurti a paradox a paradox because uh, he uh, uh, he asks for these uh, exactly this feeling of passion where you have to put well, like in the Gita, that you put all yourself in what you're doing. At the same time, you don't, must not care about the results. Well, humanly speaking, that is not very easy. And that is fairly paradoxical. paradoxical. Because if we put uh, all our energy in doing something, we also would like to have results. And that apparently is the mistake that uh, we make. And I think that's what Krishnamurti was telling us. I think, I don't know. Yes, sometimes uh, uh, one would feel, it seems to me, that he had a sense of frustration because, well, I understood that he uh, said that he would have been happy if, in all the years of speaking, what, 70 years or so, 80 years, only one person would have understood him and evidently felt that that had not happened. And so that's why I say that uh, there must have been a great deal of frustration and also a great deal of love in coming and again, again, trying again. It really implores people in some of the talk and the tapes, implores people to, to listen. To, to, are you with me? He said, stay with me, let's take a walk together. I mean, it's very touching. And in the same time, one does feel that he knows that he's not. Being understood, at least that it. What uh, what uh, I I gather. How did Krishnamurti manifest his frustration? Oh, that is just uh, in his uh, in his whole being, you know, in his voice, in his uh, in his movement, in his body. That that is where. Uh, that is where one feels the frustration. And then if he said that no one understood him, that is clearly frustrating to work so hard. I mean, I guess that is the work of the Bodhisattva, that has to give up its enlightenment and come back and again and again and again, trying to wake us up, trying really to convince us that we are asleep, that we don't see the obvious. In fact, the obvious is always the difficult thing to see. Was he easily misunderstood? Yes, I felt that uh, Krishnaji would be very, very easily misunderstood because he says, destroy everything, destroy all ideas, Uh, or uh, ideals, not only ideas, but ideals. And of course, we have been uh, given ideas to live by, and so he wants to have everything taken away. And that might be misunderstood. Also, the word destroyed might be misunderstood. He was speaking on a very, very high level all the time. And when you do that, you take a chance. And he certainly was not uh, uh, shy in taking chances. That was his life. Uh, Was there anything else that stood out to you about Krishnamurti? Aldous once uh, said... Uh, spoke uh, about time, being in love with eternity. And I think that is what Krishnaji um, was speaking about, too. That we are living in time, but uh, there is eternity. And the interesting thing, one of the many interesting things about Krishnaji is that always he had the very, very most precise watches. And he was absolutely punctual and uh, absolutely uh, Precise in things that he did, in his uh, in his dressing, and in, in, in everything, which is different from the idea that some people have of a mystic person just floating around. Uh, that is, I think, is very important because that brings also to the fact that he had that discipline that we were speaking about earlier. Maybe sometimes he did not feel like going on the stage and speaking at eight o'clock exactly, but he did it because he had a sense of obligation and of consideration. Uh, he was a very considered person. That That is clear. And uh, that is uh, something that... Um, Goes together with state of being mystic. It is the respect for the other human being. And I feel that why he was pessimistic, he was always contradicted. Why I felt that he was pessimistic about the human race and thought that we were pretty much of a mess In the same time. He had a great respect and certainly a great love. The Immeasurable Podcast is a project of the Krishnamurti Center, funded by the Krishnamurti Foundation of America. For information on our online community, programs, and how to support this work, please visit kfa.org.